0: Last year, we swore an oath. An oath to return and tell you about the latest and greatest happenings happening in the world of geekdom. That was completely redundant. But it is 2018, and the time for waiting is finally over. This is Geek Top 5. Yay! I'm Jesse. I'm Graham. And spoiler alert on everything we're talking about, I'm not going to remind you again. Number five on our list. Um, in addition to a bunch of things that got announced for coming out on the Nintendo Switch lately, we've seen that they're releasing a port of Darkest Dungeon on Nintendo Switch.
1: Okay, so it's- Darkest Dungeon, from what I could see in my research here, it looks like a, a board game, except it's a video game.
0: Well, not yes and no. Really, it's closer to sort of a tactics role-playing game. Mm. If this, like, this is one of those ones where we debated talking about it on the show because it's not huge. But of all the geeky things that we talk about, one of the ones we miss out on a lot is horror. Mm. And there's no geekier horror than Lovecraftian horror. That's very right? true. Right? With the madness and the monsters and the incomprehensible from beyond reality, all that's I love that stuff. So, uh,
1: in my research for this, it seems like a lot of these these Lovecraftian-inspired games have uh, insanity meters on them. You know, obviously, Lovecraft himself never invented a video game, but how did that become such a trope of these, these well, games? Well,
0: Lovecraft's horror is the idea that... Like, his, his monsters aren't just vampires. Like, they are certain things that exist that have always existed that are so much bigger than we can possibly comprehend that to be exposed to them is, like, world-shattering,
2: hmm. which
0: is a pretty running theme in everything he does. Darkest Dungeon is – it's a roguelike. It's a sort of a tactics-based role-playing game. But with that Lovecraftian element to it where, like, the big selling point, they say, is that your characters in your party – have sanity meters, like you said, but it's not just a meter, and this is what makes this game kinda cool. The concept of this game is that you're a guy who's inherited a creepy old manor, and of course it's full of like you know, animated dead and extra planar monsters and stuff, and you so you hiring these adventurers to send in and clean it out. Classic stuff, kinda D and D, right? In any other game though, you'd get like, either the Nameless Knight and the Nameless Archer and the Nameless Wizard, and they'd go in and numbers would fly at each other and it, or whatever, or it would be the team of heroes, you know, the Buffy team. Right. This is midway between the two, because you get all these characters, and they come from, like, different classes. So You have the melee guy or the ranged guy or the spellcaster or whatever, but as you go through the dungeon, just this stuff weighs on these characters. So things happen to them that... Assign status attributes to the character, and not just like poison, you know, or blinded, but things like I have a character who became a masochist. Um, he was like his stress meter was high, which means he was susceptible to stuff, and he just kept getting wailed on, and he developed the masochist, which in terms of the, in terms of gameplay means that he would refuse healing. You could not heal this character in the middle of a dungeon.
1: And my understanding is, once they're dead, they're dead. Once,
0: oh, once they're dead, they're dead. So. This game, I mean, that's just one example of a bunch of stuff they do in this game where every decision you make is tense. It's it's just, It sounds kind of like a lousy pitch, but <laughs> it's so much fun, and it's a great way to encompass that Lovecraftian sense of, like, nothing we're doing is safe. There's no good way out of this. At the, a basic one is as you explore these dungeons, like, before you go in, you spend money on provisions, food weapons and torches. So you have a torch going and the brighter the light of the torch, the weaker the enemies are. They don't like light. Mm. But you only have so many torches and the dungeon keeps going and you're like, "Well, it's not that dark." And I really need to ration the lights. So I'm just going to go one more room before lighting the new torch. But then maybe you go the opposite. You go, "I'm just going to keep blazing torches forever." And then you run out of torches halfway through and now it's pitch black. Like <laughs>
1: Can you, can you keep playing when it's pitch black?
0: Yeah, but you'll get wiped out pretty, mm. pretty quickly. The, the point is, this game makes every decision you make sort of like a, I don't know, and it's just, it's, it's a lot of fun in that roguelike challenging sense, and it's a really great way to meta that feeling that you get from Lovecraft Horror, where stuff is just out of your control.
1: And it's it's sort of procedurally generated, right? So no two playthroughs are going to be the same. Absolutely a lot of not. Replayability.
0: Yep. New new corridors, new rooms, new arrangements of enemies.
1: So this game originally came out in 2016, and now it's getting ported to the Switch. What's significant mm-hmm. about it coming to the Switch? Like, what makes that? Uh, something newsworthy.
0: Well, on a personal level, it's because it's made by two good Canadian boys from BC, so that's lovely. (laughs) Uh, but also, it's just, like, indie titles come and go, and Nintendo especially has a weird history with indie games. Um, they tend to be a very closed garden. Yeah, Um,
1: especially, you know, especially since the Wii, I would say, or maybe even GameCube, they've, it's, the main titles that you play on Nintendo systems tend to be the Nintendo games.
0: Right. Now, since the Switch came out, they've really been sort of trying to appeal to that demographic. And we've seen a lot of weird stuff, some just direct ports of like Neo Geo games and stuff. But the kind of indie game that this game represents is very much the PC indie crowd. It's like this like these are two guys, um, Chris Barassa and Tyler Sigmund. They, they created a studio called Red Hook Studios, which is also a Lovecraft reference, by the way, the Red Hook horror. But, like, it's just two guys who made a game, and they released it in early access on Steam, you know, and they raised enough money through that, and, like, like they sort of got their dream project out there, and it's good, and it worked, and it's pretty well critically reviewed, but that's the sort of thing that, that can happen on a computer, you know? Like, they yeah. just submit it through Steam, and you're good. It's unusual for, like, a personal sort of, you know, dream project like that to hit a console release. You know, a company, like, uh, something like PlayStation or Xbox... Most of their games come from these huge triple-A, billion dollar studios. Like most of them are EA. It's, let's face it.
1: I feel like they've gotten better at it now that they've got their own sort of personalized digital stores. So it's not all reliant on on a physical copy. Like I don't know. Does what the, do you think a game like this? Would be able to sustain a physical release? probably not, but who needs one? Right yeah in this like, day and age. yeah, in this day and
0: age, everybody's downloading everything, and I don't think anybody minds seeing the brick and mortar stores just close up.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mind, but I mean some of the stores anyway. Mm-hmm.
0: In any case, Darkest Dungeon, it's out next week on the Switch. If you don't have a Switch, it's been out on PC for a while, and it's a good price, and if you're into that kind of horror, it's phenomenal. This game has this fantastic narrator who's constantly doing these over-the-top remarks about how your party is doing.
1: I was reading about it, and I think it's, uh, they, he... Uh, did audiobooks of some Lovecraft stuff, and they hired him because of that to do their trailer, and then they're like, we
0: need him for the actual game. Oh, it's perfect. You're in the shop, like, doing the provisions, and I had to write this one down because I love it, but this is right out of a 1920s Lovecraft novel. So you're buying the torches and the food, and he says, I guess to no one, The cost of preparedness, measured now in gold, later in blood. (laughs) Pretty solid, pretty solid That's what you're getting from this game It's a great tactics game, it's a great role playing game Absolutely try it out I'm buying it for the Switch next week Number four on the list the, the open beta for Final Fantasy Dissidia NT is available on the PlayStation Network today.
1: So I'm not uh, terribly well versed in Final Fantasy or, or Japanese RPGs in general. So I tried researching this and I almost went cross-eyed. So I'm going to try and just like lead you on <laughs> this one. So it, it's, it seems to have like every Final Fantasy protagonist and they're working together. Is that
0: what's happening here? It's story-wise, sure. Right, Dissidia Games, they, the original one came out for PSP in 2009, and they had a sort of sequel in 2011. they were remarkably titled Dissidia Final Fantasy 012 Duodecim.
1: Ah, you know, rolls off the tongue.
0: Yeah, this is, this is Square Enix all over. God forbid they just come with a title. It's a 3D fighting game. So, if you think in terms like Street Fighter or Marvel vs. Capcom, but in a 3D environment, which you don't see much these days, and it's a mascot fighter, it's all these, like, all the lead characters and all the lead villains from Final Fantasy games, and it's, let's see who would win in a fight, you know, Sephiroth or Squall. Or Kefka, or Ultimisha or like whoever these...
1: So how far back do do we go for these Right to Final
0: Fantasy I. Wow. Right to the first game. So they have Garland in there, who became Chaos, who became the boss of the original Final Fantasy game, and the Warrior of Light, who's the nameless fighter, mm. because you named the characters right. back then, because there was no room for a story in 8-bit. So,
1: is Dissidia a separate game?
0: The Okay, so, Dissidia and that ridiculously titled sequel came out for the PSP. Uh, 2009, 2011 Did fairly well for mobile titles It like, okay. was well received and made money Nothing happened for a while But they released an arcade game in 2015 That sort of took that concept And expanded on it That arcade game was built on PS4 hardware So we all knew this was happening someday. What we're getting now is the home console version of that arcade experience. Okay. So, yes, I guess you could say Dissidia is like the sub-franchise title of the fighting games of Final Fantasy.
1: So they always have Final Fantasy characters in them? Yes. Okay. Okay. Interesting. So one of the things I find sort of intriguing about this from an outsider perspective is that the Final Fantasy games, one of the the hooks of them was that each one was its own individual thing. There were certain tropes or, or items that carried on and certain fighting styles that carried on, but it was always a new story, a new world, and there was very little overlap between them. This seems to break that mold by bringing everyone together.
0: It does. And to be fair, like, especially compared to other fighting games, the classic Dissidia games and PSP were very story-driven. We're talking hours of dialogue and cutscene. It's an old trope for these kind of games. It's like, you know, all these characters are summoned from their separate dimensions together into this new dimension and meet each other for the first time. Like, it's kind of an eye roll, but we've seen this before in video games and comic books. Um... That being said, I don't want to discount it because a big part of what happened in Dissidia is that they present you with a very basic, like, so there's, you know, this person who's summoning all the good guys to fight for the good side and the bad guy who's summoning all the bad guys to fight for the bad side. But in very traditional Japanese RPG, like, it turns out it's much bigger than that. There's layers and layers to the story. And right at the end, you find out it's a direct sequel to Final Fantasy 1. Hmm. It carry It's that story carried forward. Which, was, it's, it's, which is a really cool reveal. The last shot at the end of the credits is all the characters go back to their, their home dimensions or whatever, except for the guy from Final Fantasy One who turns around and walks up this hill. And as the camera pans out, you realize it's the splash screen from the first Final Fantasy. And again, it goes there all along. And like, all these pieces come together. It's really cool. So this new version, the beta's out now so you can try it. It's a little different from the older games. It's three on three instead of one versus one which is interesting. So it's like a Marvel versus Capcom style. In this well, Marvel versus Capcom, you're still playing on that 2D plane and you rotate characters. Mm. In this it's simultaneous. Like if you're playing it online, it's you and two other people on your team versus another team of three people. Interesting. So it's pretty chaotic. I've only done a couple online matches so far. One, both of them. It's a, one of them, I was I did pretty good. The other one, it wasn't so helpful. Uh, but so you have, you know, all these, your favorite Final Fantasy characters. So, you, I mean,
1: you, you've got to let us know, who did you play as?
0: I played as Cloud, and I played as the Warrior of Light. Okay. Um, Cloud from Final Fantasy VII, who is just... He's the... Everybody from the 90s who played Final Fantasy right. loves Cloud, yeah. But they give you something like 15 characters to choose from from the beta, and there's more in the final version. They're really hyping up. Like, they have Noctis, the guy from the latest Final Fantasy game, Final Fantasy 15, which is fun because he's a modern character, and he's definitely wearing jeans and a jacket, where some of these more classic characters right. are wearing, like, bright blue armor <laughs> with spikes and gemstones and all this. But they, they make it work. It's, it's a little chaotic. It's a lot of fun. It's a little simpler than the older games. The older games... Final Fantasy had a lot of, like, equipping items and abilities, right. different stuff. This is a little more basic. Pick a couple of attacks and go in there and fight. But to classic Final Fantasy tunes and classic Final Fantasy environments, to classic Final Fantasy characters, it's a lot of fun. Very cool. The beta is available now on PSN. You should check it out. The full game comes out January 30th. Number three on the list, Leaving the World of Video Games... I had some trouble tracking this one down, so you might have to help me with the pedigree. All right. They're making a movie of Teen Titans Go. Right. right, Literally, Teen Titans Go to the movies. Very charming trailer.
1: Certainly, yeah. And, you know, it relies heavily on a fart joke, but I thought it was a fairly original fart joke.
0: Sure, as far as fart jokes go. (laughs) Uh, The key here is that when you think Teen Titans, you can think of a lot of different things. Like, when we think Teen Titans, we think of the superhero team.
1: Yeah, Uh, they were uh, DC's answer to the X-Men, a group of young people who uh, come together, and there's uh, action and romance and drama and, and all that fun stuff. They, in the 80s, they were always neck and neck. Uncanny X-Men, Teen Titans, who is going to rule the top of the charts this week. So they've, they've been a prominent team since then. They've had their ups and downs, but they sort of uh, had a resurgence with these TV shows. So it started with Teen Titans... And I believe that came out in in, uh, 2011. And it was a a cartoon series with these same characters. We've got Robin, uh, Cyborg, Beast Boy, Raven, and Starfire. And it was uh, an action show. It had sort of an anime flavor to it. And it lasted a couple years. And then they decided to shut it down. They gave it its own special last movie. And then sort of relaunch it as Teen Titans Go. It's the same characters, the same voice actors even, except it's wacky, off-the-wall, completely fourth-wall-breaking comedy. Yeah,
0: like I got a real Warner Brothers vibe from it. Like, Or even if that Looney Tunes or Tiny Tunes, yeah. even might be a better way to look. Definitely. Like, the demo for this show is very young and has a lot of energy. <laughs> I watched a couple of 11, like because like, they're, they're that thing where you divide the cartoon in twos, so or yeah. 11 minutes each. I watched a couple of those and I was exhausted <laughs> after
1: <laughs> I I enjoy it. I find it... I I can see how it would be fun for kids, but there's a lot of humor in there for adults as well uh, from what I've seen. I mean, it also helps that I'm a sucker for comic book stuff, so uh, I'll watch any of this stuff. But uh, it's... It's it's got its own following, but there's also this online community that has a backlash against it because they love the original and they feel like this is some sort of perversion of their childhood. As as the standing, I mean, critique. it is
0: very different. The classic Teen Titans cartoon I feel like is a lot closer to sort of the '90s Warner Brothers Batman cartoon. Like it could get a little grim dark. Not yeah, not compared to what we have today, but with right. Slade. And stuff, and what's what's Raven's father god oh, demon Targon? Well, yeah, Torgon. and he's, he's,
1: he's literally a demon, and there's, like, all this uh, drama and, and tension between them because, you know, she's trying to be a superhero, and meanwhile she's the spawn of the devil.
0: Yeah, and, uh, that doesn't come up so much in this yeah.
1: version. In the cartoon version, she's just sort of like a, a sullen goth teen character.
0: But the way teens are portrayed when they're meant to appeal to preteens, like you right. see this on TV before. Like these are silly people doing <laughs> silly things. The, the like the flavor of the week isn't what super villain they're fighting, but it might be like Beast Boy feels bad because he's not as smart as the other team members, and they try to cheer him up. Like, yeah, or, it's that kind of plot,
1: or, or, or like you know, Beast Boy needs to get more Pop Tarts, and it's like somehow they fill an 11 minute episode with the hijinks related to getting these Pop Tarts. And it's, you know, Cyborg has become this member of the Justice League in the comics and, and now in the movies. And he's this sad guy who's half Cyborg. He's got like this sort of RoboCop thing going on. But on this show, he and, and Beast Boy are high-fiving and playing video games all the time. And this is like, this is the Cyborg that kids are growing up with. And if you see that's your favorite character <laughs> on the cartoon, and you see this mangled half-man in the, the movies, it could be a little jarring.
0: So they decided to make a movie out of this. Um, and to be fair, I mean, it's probably not fair to lump it in the same category as like the Snyderverse stuff. It's right. clearly a very different demographic, I a very different intent, mean.
1: and it's a cartoon.
0: But I mean, you can make cool cartoons. We're talking sure. about one a little bit yes, later. Yes. But this is a this is meant for parents to take their four year olds to the theater. And, you know, and I guess keep the parents busy while, you know, (laughs) while the kids are enjoying the movie.
1: It'll be very interesting to see how they translate the sort of 11-minute ADD version of it into an hour or That's
0: exactly what I'm wondering. Like, it's 11 minutes of nonstop hijinks and wackiness, and then they cut it and go to the next plot line because that's all they got. How much like, You have to fill at least 90 minutes, I feel like, in the theater to make that ticket price worthwhile, right? Okay, yeah. So then is it just going to be like six episodes of this?
1: or That's a really good question. I mean, we don't get much info from the, the trailer. I, we know that uh, Kristen Bell and Will Arnett are providing some guest voices for the, the movie, so maybe there'll be new villains or, or something, but it'll be interesting. I, what I'm finding interesting is a lot of these Saturday morning cartoons, especially the longer-running ones, I mean, this is not that long. We're coming up on five years for it. But it's it's getting its own theatrical movie. I mean, SpongeBob has done that. Simpsons has done that. But there aren't too many Saturday morning cartoons that get their own theatrical release. So it's it's becoming more of a thing, I guess. And it'll be interesting to see... How it plays out, and if we see more and more of them,
0: that's fair. I guess it depends on how this goes. Yeah, but
1: add to the confusion of the marketplace with this is that there's also a live action Titans TV series that's going to be on DC's special streaming uh, service that's coming out soon, right? And
0: that's not going to be the same demo.
1: No, but it's the same characters <laughs> right
0: but it's it's
1: crazy it's literally we've got Robin Starfire uh, we've got the only one that's missing is cyborg and I guess he's you know claimed by the m- movies yeah by
0: the, by the main movies I guess
1: yeah but so it's uh, it's we're living in a Titans world apparently
0: Teen Titans go the movie uh we'll see it I guess I don't know if Rex will be old enough for you to take him to see it but probably not but we'll see it soon. Number two on the list. Uh, jumping back in time just a little bit because we had to take our Christmas break. Uh, but Netflix's Bright, which is just such a terrible title <laughs> <laughs> for the thing was released, uh, two weird responses, uh, critically panned, but fans aren't you know are kind of for it. And Netflix has decided to go ahead with a sequel. So yeah. what the heck happened?
1: I mean, I believe it it cost ninety million dollars to make, and uh, I, I'm very curious to see how the finances of these these netflix movies work i mean whether you make a 20 million dollar indie or a 90 million dollar blockbuster how do you track that how do you how do you when it's netflix when it's a, a subscription service how do you quantify
0: well they the value can of that? well they can track viewership and they're right. saying that this is the fastest the most people have ever watched a netflix product On the Nielsen ratings, we're seeing about 11 million people in the States streamed it within the first three days of release. Hmm. So if that's the equivalent, it's not the equivalent of 11 million tickets because you'd get 20 bucks each for those, but if you have 11 million people engaged, I guess that's a success. It's more people listening to our show.
1: (laughs) I guess the real question is, Did that translate into new subscriptions?
0: Yeah, Yeah, I guess we'll never
1: know. But, I mean, because they've got the monopoly on the information. Netflix can decide to tell us whatever they want to tell us about it. Anyway, let's get to the movie itself. Directed by David Ayer, written by Max Landis and starring Will Smith and Joel Edgerton. It's uh it's a decent pedigree. I mean Will Smith himself his image is a little tarnished uh, compared to his box office yeah. glory days.
0: But I mean it suits, right? Like David Ayer making a cop drama with Will Smith in it like it's yeah. it like it it seems like all those ducks are in a row. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but the key with Bright what Bright is trying to be is a buddy cop story. But in the Shadowrun universe, essentially. So please explain
1: Uh, what Shadowrun is.
0: Shadowrun (laughs) is a tabletop role-playing game franchise. It's actually in the future, not in present day, but close enough where it's like, what if magic were still around, essentially. So it's like if if the worlds we see from fantasy worlds, like Lord of the Rings, caught up to modern day. So what we have in Bright is a Los Angeles with humans and elves and orcs.
1: Mm Mm-hmm
0: and it is just a little heavy-handed on the social commentary with that the orcs are sort of like the the lower class what
1: i found and... confusing where where they they lost me in the messaging of it is they've got you know the orcs are there sort of representing the uh, a marginalized race like uh, uh like the minorities in certain areas of of Los Angeles and America in general but those minorities are also in the movie so it's not like I don't know. The allegory was lost on me a little I bit. I guess
0: if you have other species to make, like if you have orcs, then at least someone who's a different color than you, it's not as big a deal. I, I but, don't know. I mean, that's the thing.
1: Like The social messaging in this, I found
0: was, so confusing. So, because it was so clumsily done. Right. Um, it's all about, so Will Smith is a human cop, and he's has the first orc cop as a partner. And of course it's causing all this chaos cuz nobody wants an orc with a badge. Mm-hmm. And you know and Will Smith doesn't really like him either, but he's trying and over the course of the adventure they learn to respect one another and it's exactly what would happen like if this movie was made in like 20 years ago I it would say
1: alien nation.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's it, it, it's exact plot. It's just that they just have just a touch of this fantasy element with the orc stuff. And like, while they're doing their bonding, they're investigating a magic thing. Yeah. But it's never brought up enough to be interesting. Like, like it's if any it's if anything, it's like they went too light on the fantasy element. Mm-hmm. They've
1: got amazing makeup and some very cool special effects, but it's all it seems like window dressing over a really by the books cop story.
0: Yeah, incredibly cliche. Just mm-hmm. real paint by numbers. And and this is like we both watched it and we both agree on this, but this is the critical reception too. They're saying that this movie just couldn't decide what it was.
1: I will say though that I mean there were some critics that said it was like the worst movie of the year and and whatnot, and I I don't think that's the case. Like it's it's I don't think it's it's interesting enough to be that bad. It was just yeah. sort of bland, and I I think I I would have rather seen it as a TV show. You know, I think you could have fleshed out the universe a lot more. I feel like. I don't understand how you can have a world where there's orcs and elves and magic and lightning and uh, special effects and have it be so similar to uh, how the world actually turned out now.
0: Yeah, they, they didn't do enough to create a new world. Yeah. They, they took a, a gritty Los Angeles cop movie and gave some people pointed ears and Matrix Karate. Yeah, which and even
1: like, uh, terrible Matrix yeah, karate, brutal,
0: brutally cliched, unexplained. That apparently elves and this maybe elves or maybe just the bad elves, we're not sure. That's never made clear. Do a bunch of Matrix karate,
1: but there's like stuff where they're uh, doing the wire fights at, where people are twirling around, but it just looked so cheaply done. At, whereas everything else in the movie looks like they just poured buckets of money on it. I found all some the gritty, of well, scenes.
0: all the gritty cop stuff. Right. That's like maybe that's just the director's choice. Like that's clearly where he decided to focus the movie. Yeah. There's a lot of them being like beaten up and like you're know, sitting back to back and like reloading shotguns and it's like, oh, what hell of a day, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like yeah, cool
1: car chases, cool uh, gunfights, but when it really got to, too like, many
0: gunfights, a lot of the movie was gunfights.
1: <laughs> when it got to the hand to hand combat, it was just,
0: yeah. Too much. Yeah. So really, the critics, I agree with you, I think are overreacting. It's not a terrible movie. Like, it has a beginning, a middle, and an end. It has characters. It
1: is a lot more uh, intelligently put together than Suicide Squad was, David Ayer's last movie.
0: Yeah, everything that happened in this made sense. Suicide Squad was completely nonsensical. (laughs) This one, like, it was boring. Yeah. But it was a complete story. Mm Mm-hmm. Some of the like the the geekier questions go unanswered again just because they didn't deep too like they didn't go as deep as they needed into the fantasy of it. Yeah, but I, don't, I don't understand why people hated this movie so much, and I guess they didn't because enough people watched it that they want to make another one. Maybe it'll be better the next time.
1: Maybe I mean I've, I've, there are rumors that uh, David Ayer has said thank you to Max Landis, but I'll handle this next one myself. Uh, Max Landis has gotten into a, a touch of trouble in the online world for you know he's. Falling into some of the pitfalls that some of these other big Hollywood guys have mm. regarding. Uh, that being said, David Ayer isn't with...
0: terribly popular with the crowd these days either, thanks to Suicide Squad. Right. So we'll we'll have to see. Bright is available on Netflix now. If you want to check it out, uh, we thought it was mostly boring, but <laughs> hey, you know what? It'll kill a couple of hours and uh, <laughs> has some has some cool makeup. So that's yeah, something very good. And the head of the FBI looks exactly like John Travolta in Pulp Fiction. I have no idea why. It had to be intentional.
2: I don't know. I don't know.
0: Listen, check it out. Trust me. You let me know. You'll see. I'm right. Number one. Number one on the list. Also going back in time to something we didn't get a chance to talk about when we first saw the trailer. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. A trailer was released on December 9 out of nowhere. As far as I could tell.
1: Yeah, I mean, I remember th- they've been teasing this for a while. Like, there'd be this Miles Morales animated movie. Whenever I heard about it, I sort of assumed it would be a direct digital direct-to-DVD sort of situation. But this is getting a proper theatrical release. Yeah,
0: and it's not, a, like, a typical animated movie either. No. It looks good. Gorgeous. Yeah. And this is one of the first things to, like, I'm, we'll get to the story and everything. This look, go watch this trailer if you haven't seen it already. The art style in this is so cool. I, I can't even describe it.
1: Well, it's, yeah, it's it's definitely 3D, but it's like a 3D animated thing like a Pixar movie or, a, you know, Despicable Me. But it's there's a, a flatter quality to it, and... I've heard it described as they they it's animated on the twos, which is to say they animate every other frame. So there's sort of like a more tactile sensation to it, It, more of an old school feel. Like if you made a three D CGI comic book panel. Yeah, and that was my favorite part. When there's a part where he is swinging and he like bumps into a car, and the art style changes. It's like this jarring moment, and the, the it looks like a comic book panel for a second. And I just it was so neat to see. Very cool looking
0: movie. Uh, also great, and then, like now let's get to it. That yeah. like we were just talking about how cool Miles Morales is in our in our 2017 wrap up, and as great as Spider Man Homecoming was, you know, and yeah, and Peter Parker is great, mm-hmm. but Miles Morales is so cool and deserves more attention, and now he's getting it, kind of because it's a Miles Morales movie, but the concept of the movie, the like the the tagline is like, ent- was it? it's Enter a universe where more than one wears the mask. Right,
1: I mean, the title itself, Into the Spider-Verse, is pretty telling, because a few years ago there was this whole crossover storyline called Edge of the Spider-Verse, where all these Spider-Men and women had to work together for a... Uh, gobbledygook comic book reason, but you've got to see all these different versions of Spider-Man, including Miles Morales. Yeah.
0: Plus that's Spider-Man 2099, yeah. and the noir Spider-Man. Yeah, I think
1: Spider-Gwen.
0: Spider-Gwen. Peter right. Porker,
1: the Spider-Ham.
0: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I love that, but I hate it.
1: There's even one part where you got to see someone, uh, or a Spider-Man from the 60s animated universe. It was great. They did such a uh, hilarious job with this, but it was also a really good story.
0: So obviously kind of tongue-in-cheek, kind of a tribute to the Spider-Man verse as a whole, as much of a serious story. But that seems to be what's inspiring this movie. So what do we see? Like we've seen Miles Morales for sure. We see him take off the mask. Mm-hmm. We're pretty sure we've seen Peter Parker. Like we see a, we see a headstone with Peter yeah. Parker's name on it. But Miles Morales is having like, a, like what you would consider a Luke and Obi-Wan conversation with a mentor figure. At sure. some point, pretty sure that's Peter Parker.
1: Presumably a Peter Parker from a different universe. I believe the, the main... Well, it was, I, I have a feeling we're going to see this movie through Miles Morales' eyes. And they're going to follow the storyline of the ultimate universe. Where he takes over the Spider-Man mantle after the ultimate Peter Parker dies, saving New York. Right. So, it, it's kind of cool that they're taking it that directly from the comics. Uh, and I, I'm excited to see how it plays out. And they, they've got a, an interesting cast. You know, Shamik Moore plays Miles. Mahershala Ali, who uh, has been in a bunch of stuff recently, I think he won an Oscar a couple years ago for Moonlight. Uh, He's going to be the Prowler. He's Prowler is a. He's a, a character, a complicated character. Let's leave it at that. All beginning. right, that's fair. Liam <laughs> Schreiber has been cast, but it's sort of a mystery role. We don't know who he'll be. And then uh, an interesting, a really interesting thing from the, the behind-the-scenes side of it is that the story, or maybe even the the scriptwriter of it, is going to be Alex Hirsch, who's best known as the creator of Gravity Falls. Which huh. Is this, yeah, this cult cartoon series that, uh, you know, had quite those falling. Look it up. It was a fun show.
0: Yeah. shout out to regular repeating guest Shaggy Shanahan. Yeah, big but- Gravity Falls aficionado. Um, yeah, it, it, so it's a cool story that we want to see, and it's being presented in a really cool way, and it's coming to theaters, like which means that they're going to be putting the effort into it. You know, sometimes those direct DVD like animated, like I think they, they, they cut a lot of corners. Yeah, because they figured no one's really going to see it. This is going to be a big deal, and that's super exciting. mm Hmm. So, that's our list for this week, and it's good to be back. Uh, We'll be right back with our special guest segment, so please, stay tuned.
1: Welcome back to the second half of Geek Top 5. We have with us our uh, old friend, Dave Clark, who's been on a few episodes with us. Third time's a charm. Very nice. And uh, this... Week we're going to look at something we haven't really done before, which is ship designs, and specifically Star Wars ship designs.
0: You got to carry on that last Jedi fun. I, I'm yeah. still on the high. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> so what does that entail? What are we What are we going to be looking at as far as what makes a, a, one of the top five ship designs in Star well,
2: Wars? We're going to talk about first of all, we're going to talk about strictly canon. Uh, ship designs okay, okay. important note uh, yes uh, current canon I should say mm-hmm. uh, because uh, you know there's a giant extended universe uh, of what is it 60,000 years worth of intergalactic <laughs> travel <laughs> something like that yeah um, that uh, you know we're not going to get so far into but
1: so we won't see uh, Kyle Katarn's moldy
2: crow or yeah. Uh,
0: yeah no no black sun star vipers mm-hmm. no Yuzhenvang bio ships <laughs> nope yeah. No,
2: we're not going to talk about those. But <laughs> my point is, is that we're going to uh, we're going to talk about uh, current uh, canon, and we're going to talk about what we like, either aesthetically or technically, or uh, I mean, what other aspects are there of ship design? Um,
0: I mean, probably not the actual science behind how effective <laughs> the ship is, because it is Star Wars. Yeah, their science
2: yeah. is pretty iffy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The less we talk about it, the better. Yes, but. Uh, we are going to talk about, definitely, aesthetics. I'm sure we'll t- talk about uh, how they perform. And I bet we'll talk about individual examples of some of these ships. And maybe even a couple of ships that some people think should be on this list. And I'll tell you why th- I didn't put them on this list once we get there. Fair enough. All right, let's hit it. What's number five? Number five is the blockade runner, the CR-90 Corillian Corvette. So this is the first ship we see in Star Wars, right? If you watch it in production order, yes. (laughs) It's the only way to watch it, Dave. It it, it is. Yeah, this Um, this is
0: the ship that's immortalized as Princess Leia's Tantive IV. um, Captured by the Star Destroyer Devastator at the start of A New Hope. It's long and white. There's little red lines on it. Looks like a big Tylenol. Um,
2: (laughs) Color-wise. It does have a lot of uh, sort of semi-cylindrical uh, outcroppings in the front. It's got a bit of a, a hammerhead and then it's it's quite narrow in its sort of profile and then it's got a lot of engines in the back compared to its cross-section. It, it's, it's
0: four and then three and then four? Yeah. Or is it five and four and five? More than three,
2: I want to say it's 434. Four. Yeah. I would say it doesn't matter,
1: but that is the whole purpose of this conversation yeah. is the ship so, design.
2: Yeah, let's be very clear. If this bores you, <laughs> stop now. No.
0: Yeah, it's it's going to be a long podcast. <laughs> now, this is one of those ships that just scream Star Wars. Oh, yeah. And, I, and because it's that first one, like, the toys have been around forever, and they're, they're in the video games, and they're in the books, and they're on T-shirts, and they're on... This is one of those iconic ship designs.
1: And it, it sets the, the tone for what we expect from these Star Wars ships, where it's not smooth, you know? It's not like most uh, mm-hmm. spaceships we'd seen up to that point, like, you know, thinking Lost in Space or Star Trek, where they're, they're sort of smooth, cool-looking, futuristic designs. These are bumpy, and there's broken parts. And there's weird miscolored parts of yeah, it. Yeah, this it's,
2: is before Alien, so we don't get we haven't seen that aesthetic yet. I mean, you could probably draw some comparisons to uh the serial guy. This the the, 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 the... Captain Crunch? Nope. Serial <laughs> <laughs> as in uh this Oh Flash Gordon? Flash Gordon, thank oh, okay. you. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. But I would say um one of the most important things about this ship is because it's immediately followed by the star destroyer, yeah, and because of the shoot the shot angle you've get this sort of you can really tell the scale of the two ships and the other thing is because it's got all these little round bits and sort of cylindrical and long and narrow and it's got the it's got its own sleekness, but then it really sets off the star destroyer it really Gives us a sense of of them being angular and aggressive pointy. and clunk. Well, I don't think clunky. I wouldn't say clunky. But Pointy, pointy, yes, absolutely. But yeah, pointy. But, but
0: there's a certain. Like, it's still not Star Trek, but there's a certain uniformity to the Star Destroyer oh, design, yeah. Where it, like it makes a Corellian Corvette kind of look like like your friend's VW van. Yeah, yeah it's definitely got a. <laughs> right, it looks like this homegrown. You know, civilian like 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 the person driving it's probably wearing sunglasses and a colored
2: headband or a r- really stupid helmet.
0: Well, yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so at this point in the the canon storyline, that ship is is you know the rebellion isn't a fully formed entity or isn't like fully known, so it's not something that was necessarily built for the rebels, right? So what do we know about its use in
2: in the the universe? Well, what we know about its use now. It's uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. very different than what we would have assumed at, at the moment. We might have assumed that in the moment that the rebels were a collection of of people who had smaller, ricketier or more thrown together ships, or maybe they're just you know ragtag and and all that sort of stuff. It turns out, uh, you know, the Corillians they also make the Millennium Falcon. Yeah, so that's something about that ship design, that's or just... the designer itself. But yeah. <laughs> um, and the, in addition to that. Um, later on we're seeing that you know when we get to see Rogue One finally we see there's actually a bunch of different heads they've got and different sort of modulations they've got but the same engine pack and things like that There, there's a lot of sort of modifications that the rebels have done to their ships which makes perfect sense and, and all follows and then when we see the full rebel fleets I want to say in Empire, we've got the Nebula Bees and the Mon Calamari's, and then you've got all these little ones. So even inside the Rebel Fleet, this is a sort of a small, fast uh, cruiser, as opposed mm-hmm. to a right. Capital. I mean, I mean, I guess the name Blockade Runner tells you something about it. Yeah. It's like fast, and it's it's meant to just sort of like yeah. plow through, right? And maybe Jesse, you can check me on this. Where does it? Where do we find out its name? It, the term blockade runner d- comes from other sources. Right. Um, they don't
0: give us much information. Like, I don't think anyone ever says Corellian Corvette. Nope. The closest we get in Hope is, is this is a consular ship on yeah. a diplomatic mission, and we don't really hear anything else about it. The next time that ship design is ever really paid attention to is in the prequels, when we see that Bail Organa is using it, yeah. or a very close predecessor to it, depending on what part of the story sure. that you buy. Literally, as a consular ship, and he's a senator, and this is the ship he uses to get around. Yeah. So, the terms blockade runner, and the terms Corellian Corvette, this all came mostly to sell the toy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is it's all the marketing labeling stuff. labeling on the
2: toys, and, the, and in the EU, I imagine, as mm-hmm.
0: well. And then, you know, the, 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 where us growing up, where we heard most about it was the video games. Yeah. When you're playing X-Wing or playing TIE Fighter. They're all labeled. They're everywhere, yeah. these Corvettes, dozens of them.
2: Yeah, well, especially when you're playing TIE Fighter, because then they're the enemy. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, they're like
0: the light rebel capital ship that you can probably take out on your own, And but towards the end of that game, they're throwing dozens of them at you. Yeah,
2: yeah, I remember. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so do you want to go to number four on the list? Okay, so this, uh, I'm guessing, may be an unpopular decision.
0: Not necessarily unpopular. I was surprised. I never even considered it.
2: Right, so the Separatists... Uh, droid Landing Ship, or the Trade Federation Droid Landing Ship, depending on whether you're watching Clone Wars or a prequel movie, is a, well, let's see. It's got a sort of a body, and then it's got so, four large, wide wings. A dragonfly kind of yeah, look. Yeah, but without extending. So it's, the whole body is the full length of the wings. There's no front or back in addition to that. And what I think really struck me about it is is that this is clearly a landing gear. It, they're landing the droids, and then when they do open up the front, the way the droids are unpacked is probably my second favorite moment of my least favorite Star Wars movie. <laughs> yeah. um, okay. Uh, so
1: which one does it first appear in? Is it in Phantom, This is Phantom Menace. No. Oh, Phantom it's in the
0: Menace. first one. So they're yeah. landing... On Naboo. On Naboo. And they have the big bronze. Like, like all the, It
2: comes down and right. splits open in the front. So all and then the, the droids are loaded out... Yeah, and, and it, you right. know, in a, in a similar way to uh, how the droids are being, or the the robots are being packed in iRobot in the movie, they're they're sort of all hanging, folded up, but they they the, it unloads in a very, I think, intelligently designed way. If you're thinking about what the most efficient way to pack droids in is, but it's 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 an intimidating ship. It's width, and it's sort of yeah, the way the wings are, are arranged and the the whole thing is very intimidating, and it's. You know, I think it was well presented to be intimidating. You know, and yeah. See, so but this is
0: what got me is that like like the Corellian Corvette like is part of the meta. Yeah, there's like I've seen Puzz three D Corellian sure, Corvettes. Sure. The Separatist landing ship. I mean, like the only t- I, I can think of the one we see in Phantom Menace, yeah. and then in the Tartakovsky. Yeah, the <laughs> Clone Wars. The cl- and, but in the the non canon. Sure. Animated Clone Wars cartoon. Yeah. You see them landing and like there's a cool scene where Yoda smashes them together in midair. Yeah. Besides that I guess they're in the Clone Wars cartoon like the they're actual Clone Wars are. cartoon as they well. Are. They
2: actually spent a lot of time but, with them in the Clone Wars cartoon, which is where I was sort of watching them and saying, you know what, this is it's actually it's a unique design. A lot of ships Do you think star- it, are, do you think it works better in a cartoon? Um, I think it works better in a cartoon in that all of the CG works better in the cartoon, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because when we watch, you watch the original trilogy of Star Wars, the the model work is so good, like yeah, and they, the way they shoot the models is so good. It's it worked. They didn't need to move away from that, but of course they did. Mm-hmm. Um, I find that then when we watch it, when I watched it in Clone Wars, the the 3D, the the Canon one. You're seeing it in the context of everything else. Everything's cartoon, so that actually works. It works as intimidation. It works in the context, right? Do you know what I mean? I have a question. Sure. The unrelated to ship stuff. Sure. We keep talking about the canon, non-canon uh, Clone
1: Wars. Isn't, I, I thought, at least part of the Gendy tarkovsky Clone nope. Wars is. Well, so, no. so then why the, is... Uh, it's all that- Legends. But isn't I thought the the whole point of that series was to explain why General Grievous had a breathing problem? Okay,
0: no, that's not the whole point of the series. It does come up there, but no, that's not it anymore. Anyway, just, anyway conversation th- for another time. We've had this conversation. We all have. Yeah. No, but yeah, it just it's just it just occurred. Like the, the landing ship to me doesn't scream Star Wars, but you make good points. it's yeah. a, It's a unique design. It's a cool idea. Yeah. For how to, and if you had a bunch of foldable robots to hang in a coat hanger somewhere, like that is a cool convenient way to get them places
1: yeah. but unlike a lot of stuff in star wars it, it- Like, the idea is uh, everything gets repurposed, you know? Pieces from things get reattached to that. This has one purpose, and one purpose only. And when they switch out from robots to stormtroopers, you can't fold a bunch of stormtroopers up into this. Well,
2: they don't really switch out from robots to stormtroopers, they switch out from clone troopers to stormtroopers. Okay. Okay. Yeah, the
0: droids are the droids. They're always the droids. And, I mean, arguably, this is one of the many reasons why the prequels aren't as fun. They don't have that sort of repurposed, interesting. There's a right. whole world here. Like in the prequels, people aren't scrambling for what they can get. Everybody's rich. There's a big government. They like they're able to build these cool, purpose-built ships that do this one
2: cool thing. I uh, I'm with you on both points. Uh, we don't see uh, the aesthetic of the uh, the ship come back. Uh, any of the separatist stuff. I think all the ships that we sort of see as leading towards our... The, the original two series ships are all from the the republic side so none of there's stuff that that definitely leads into tie fight, or tie fighters there's stuff that definitely leads into x wing y wings I think st- there are x y wings there are actual y y wings. There are things that look almost identical to A-Wings. There's stuff that looks like it's on its way to being a B-Wing. Like, it's all yeah. there. The
0: it's... Separatists lose. The Droids lose. Yeah. None of that stuff carries forward. In yeah. yes. hey, case, we're in the weeds. Yes. Let's move on. Number three on the list. Back to the classic trilogy. All right. So, the TIE Interceptor. Yeah. And this is, like... I kind of want to make the whole podcast just about this because there's a lot of cool tie designs. Yes, I respect the tie interceptor; it's a good choice. That wasn't your choice. It wasn't
2: my choice, but I want to hear your okay. stuff. So, uh, I don't. We see in the uh, New Hope, we see a tie fighter, and we see Vader's tie. Right, Vader's tie. Yeah. We do not see tie bombers. Not in the New Hope. No, we just see the two ties, mm-hmm. and but when we get to. Um, The next movie, we get to *Empire Strikes Back*. They have the tie bomber and they have the tie interceptor. So, anyway, the tie interceptor. All right, so let's explain it. It looks like it looks like Vader's tie only with a sleeker, longer cutaway in the front section of the wing. So it's got four. Claws, uh, claws, yeah, claws, yeah. yeah. pointy and wings. they're and they're curved in. Like, so the Tie Fighters it's got those flat wings, not even wings, solar panels, <laughs> technically, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> uh, but the the interceptors curved in, and it's a lot sleeker. It's a, they're a lot further forward in front of it, and that's actually got the the lasers mounted on it as well. And it's if you do play the X Wing vs Tie Fighter game, you find out that the interceptors are much much faster. Uh, that, that much more true. Uh, maneuverable. Um, and with the four cannons, uh, four laser cannons, twice as powerful. And I think, was their missile payload better?
0: Missile payload has never been confirmed in canon. It's no. confusing. Yeah. Sometimes ties have warheads, sometimes they don't. Yeah, The um, only
2: thing that always does it is the bombers. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, but, yeah, if we're going just in pure of, like, the in-universe metrics, yeah, the TIE Interceptor is clearly the superior yeah. ship. Oh,
2: yeah. It just it must be more expensive than the TIE Fighters, or otherwise they would all be TIE Interceptors. Right. Yeah.
1: So so what would your, if you were to put a TIE entry on this list, Jess, yeah. what would you? Yeah, see,
2: think?
0: this is tricky because with the switch from Legends to Canon, we've lost a lot of TIEs. Yeah. When I say a lot, I mean a lot. I'm talking 20, maybe 30 different TIE
2: Fighter designs. A lot of them were that, slight variations were rather than full variations. But eh,
0: Some
2: yeah. of them were pretty goofy. Yeah, oh, for sure. <laughs> but there's a lot of cool like
0: the TIE Droid one or the, yeah. the TIE X stuff from the XVT games. Are those but, the
2: ones? No. The Reaper is the one that's got one wing on its top, um, which is a stupid look. The, the
0: Reaper is the equivalent of the U-Wing we see yeah. in Rogue One. It's a yeah. Troop Lander. Yeah. Um, four coolest... Canon tie fighter design. I would have gone with the tie striker from Rogue One, the atmosphere one, oh, which yeah. is it has sort of the two wings canted, like it looks like it could actually fly, yeah, which is a rare thing for a tie design. Yeah. Or it would have gone with the tie defender, which is canon again. They didn't give that shit right, up,
2: it's in Rebels, right? it's in Rebels, yeah. it's a big
0: part of Rebels, yeah. it's a big plot point.
2: Because it's a new... It's the new... It's the
0: new, cool TIE fighter. But it's got this really neat design. It does.
2: It's 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 got, like... It's three, right? Yeah. It's a try. Like
0: something coming up, like, directly out of the head and then from, like, either side of the chin. So
1: what's the special thing about the Defender?
0: The TIE Defender is, like in the story the tie fighters are cheap mass produced ships like they are like they're, they're quantity over quality the tie defenders go in the other way they're saying well what happens if we took all this money and build a small group of these really awesome ships so in the, like, even in the canon, this thing is fast and heavily armed and has all these cool different tools. It and it shields. And it shields, hyperdrive. Again, mm-hmm. I don't know how much detail we want to get into for the Star Wars geeks. Yeah. Like, in the old Legends universe, the TIE Defender was OP. It was broken.
2: Oh, yeah. For sure. When yeah. you were playing it in X-Wing versus TIE Fighter, or was it... In TIE, in TIE Fighter, it's a god ship.
0: It's yeah. faster, it's heavily armed, it's got lasers and cannons and warheads, it's it's invincible, yeah. it turns in a dime. In XVT, they dumbed it down a little, but it was still a cool ship.
2: Balanced.
0: Yeah. In the new Canon, we see that it's generally how they show it is they show it like just outperforming X Wings. Right. Yeah. So it does everything in X Wing does,
2: but a little bit better. Yeah. Whereas the Interceptor is faster and more maneuverable than the X-Wings, but it does, still doesn't have shields, and it still blows up yeah. immediately. Still made out of paper, yeah. essentially. Yeah. But quick and nimble. You like that, no? I did. It's but most, like The, the more, pointiness of it is that's, also cool, too. That's the thing that really struck me. The thing that was my favorite about the Interceptor is the aesthetic. Is absolutely the look of the thing. It's a cool-looking ship. It's a cool-looking ship. Cool looking ship. All right.
1: Which I have to feel like, a, based on your description, I sort of vaguely remember it, the the three-wing TIE fighter, uh, not really doing it for me, as far as the, the defender goes. it's a little
2: goofy? A little goofy. Yeah.
0: I like it, but I can see what you're saying. The knife look to it, yeah, the yeah, interceptor. Yeah. That thing looks mean. I don't want that thing coming after Kylo's me.
2: Kylo's ship Kylo's interceptor. Yeah, the, the, the
0: silencer bar was a lot from the yeah, interceptor.
2: It's a lot, like it's it's sleek. It's it, even more exaggerated. It's length yeah. and, and sleekness, but I assume it is rigged out with shields at least. Oh yeah, yeah, it's, anyway. it's a full suite. Okay.
0: Anyway, let's move on. Number two,
2: the classic, the <laughs> uh, the Imperial Star Destroyer, the second ship we see, the second yeah. ship we see, gigantic, sixteen hundred meters long. Right, which is longer than the Enterprise, if we're counting.
0: (laughs) We can double back to that, because there there are problems with this, but we'll come back to that. Absolutely. Um,
2: It is triangular uh, um, in its sort of top-down view. Um, It's got a lot of triangle looks in its uh, profile as well, the bridge with the two shield generators, and... Three giant engines on the back, it's hangar a, on the bottom. It's another
0: iconic Star Wars design. Oh, and, something
1: really cool about the hanger on the bottom How like the tie fighters yeah. lower out of it and then go spinning off. Oh, yeah. so cool!
0: It, it helps. Something about it, like because it's not the way you sort of figure it, it makes it look bad, like a bad guy ship. Yeah, because yeah. it does. It doesn't
1: quite make sense,
2: yeah. but it's cool. Yeah.
1: Like, a lot of things in Star Wars. Well, yeah.
2: What the bridges, all of the bridges on the Star Destroyers and the, any of the, the Republic Star Destroyers, although they don't call them that, um, but they, the Republic has Star Destroyers, but they still have the same thing. They've got these bridges on top that are, like, totally
0: exposed. Super like exposed.
1: Right beside the shield generators, which might as well have targets painted on them, because yeah. they're so obviously, like, shoot me, shoot okay. me. Okay,
2: I understand if you have to have your shield generators out, but still bridge if you've got a, you're gonna build a weak point to the ship don't build it on the outside <laughs> <laughs> Anyway it looks awesome it's intimidating it's um, classic like you think of evil ship and you just you, it just works. And there's a reason, I guess, that it's—I think of all the ships
0: in Star Wars, it's the one that is so prominent between three trilogies. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess Phantom Menace is the only Star Wars movie where you don't see, you know, a Star Destroyer looking ship. But at the end of Attack of the Clones, we see the Republics, like, their first ships like that, the Acclimators on the ground. Then they get the the ones with the red stripe. The Venators are the big ones in the Clone Wars cartoon. And then in Revenge of the Sith. Then you have the Imperial ones throughout the Classic Trilogy. Yeah. Still sort of two different shifts, but like just to justify that the fact that they changed the model between yeah. the New Hope and Empire. Yeah. And then in the in Force Awakens, we see the First Order. First thing we see is their cool new Star Destroyer.
1: Yeah. Did I, did I drop out for a second, or did we not talk about the Super Star Destroyer from, from Return of the Jedi? We haven't talked about the I mean, Super Star on, Destroyer. Come on. Empire. But yeah,
0: yeah. Oh, Frick, okay. but the, the executor also giant, again big look, knife looking ship, but absurdly huge. Yeah. Like, yeah,
2: like we're we're meant to believe that
1: has it would have its own gravity. Like, well, you yeah. know, yeah, things probably orbit it.
0: Well, yeah. now again, <laughs> and maybe this is the time to come back to that. The size of Star Wars ships is very confusing. We have numbers like this, like we like they've said officially the Imperial One Star Destroyer sixteen hundred meters long. But they or l- exactly one mile. Yeah, which is convenient. But they list the crew at something like 40,000 people. That's too many. Yeah, there's too many people to fit in there. And when you watch the movies and you see, like, okay, so an X-Wing is one guy in it. Yeah. And that's what the X-Wing looks, looks like. Looks like the The Star Destroyer. There's not room for 40,000 no. X-Wings. No. Like, the sizes don't match up. So when you do the Star Wars versus Star Trek thing that we all do, how would the Enterprise fare against a Star Destroyer? Well, the Enterprise has room for 1,000 people on board.
2: Well, it has room for more than 1,000, but it's crewed by 1,000. But the
0: Star Destroyer apparently has room for 40,000
2: people. It's a lot thicker. The Enterprise is a lot uh, hollower, thinner. Like It doesn't take up as much of the space. Sure,
0: yeah, but there's there's wiggle room, but not enough to
2: accommodate that kind of stuff. 40,000 is an absurd number that... They just, yeah. somebody. The,
1: if that's the case, then how many people are crewing the Super Star Destroyer? Yeah, too many. And how many exactly. people are crewing the
0: Death Star? Where are they getting all these people? It's a big galaxy. Well, but yeah. yeah. But, it, yeah, it, the when you get down to that kind of size thing, you got to let some of that go. It does <laughs> no. not line up. No. None of it makes no. any sense. The There's a climactic moment in the Battlefront 2 game where there's a Star Destroyer, like, in atmosphere, sure. and your protagonist crashes her X-Wing, and like, like onto the ship, and now she's running along the outside of the hull, right. and she covers most of the distance. You know, in a few minutes. Well, if, I if mean, if that
1: ship, you got to be cheats like that for for a video game. You know,
2: a four minute mile is 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 uh, Olympic territory, but you know, it should be possible. <laughs>
0: it's a bit of a stretch to me, sure. but that even then, if you have to adjust the size to make room over the extra thirty nine thousand people. Yeah. Like, either the ship is a lot longer or a lot taller yeah, than we're getting credit for, and it's not. So size-wise, we just got to let some of that go. Yeah. As was, well,
2: are those official numbers uh, post-canon uh, takeover? Those are canon numbers. Uh, I One of my favorite uh, Star Destroyer
1: moments is from the Force Unleashed, where you have a, a character use the Force to bring one down, crash yeah. into a planet. Cool scene. Yeah,
0: Again, cool. sadly not canon. But very cool to watch. Frustrating to play in the game, as I recall. Uh, a little bit, but once but you've got to do what it, With a minigame? Mini yeah, yeah. It's you know.
1: like spinning your sticks. Uh,
0: but yeah, he uses the force to tear a Star Destroyer out of the sky and into the ground. Very cool.
2: Very cool. Cool-looking right.
0: ship, but not the number one
2: coolest-looking no. ship. The coolest ship uh, in Star Wars ship designs has got to be the X-Wing. The classic. The classic.
0: I yeah. almost feel bad to sing X Wing. Like we should pick something cooler, just cause everyone's gonna say X Wing. No, it's but it's but, right. But it's right. Yeah, yeah. the X Wing is the Star Wars ship. It's, it's, Half the time you see the Star Wars logo, there's an X Wing flying around. Right. Yeah, exactly. exactly.
2: It is a single man starfighter uh, with wings that split from the front or back. You can. It looks like an X, yes. and that's yeah. that's what it is. So it's X Wing. To let me
0: get a little inside baseball just for a second. Can I ask you to narrow it down even further <laughs> and pick between the T-65 X-Wing from the classic trilogy or the new T-70s? All right. Because there are differences.
2: Yes, yeah. I, I like can the Can we describe engines? the okay. differences? Sure. Yeah, easily. So, okay.
0: The T-65 B-X-Wing, I'm not going to get into the blueprints. I could. I absolutely could. But the T-65 B-X-Wing looks like a classic Star Wars ship in that it's kind of hodgepodge. There are things missing from it and exposed cables and pipes. It's like the kind of thing that, you know, our struggling Rebel Alliance would build. In The Force Awakens, we see the debut of the T-70 X-Wings, which are the X-Wing built by a government with money and, like, safety regulations and oversight committees. And they're new. Well, and they're new. That's part of it, too. I gotta
2: assume that when the uh, X-Wings, the T-65 in A New Hope, those those may have been new 15 or 20 years ago and they were they're now all been scrapped for parts and put back together six ways yeah they're they're, they're like
0: that. the T70 is sleek you know the T65 the X-wing has like the, it has the body and then the cockpit on top yeah. the T70 it's perfectly smooth yeah. the nose goes right up into cockpit mm, yeah. the the s foils on the T70 like interweave they close together into one wing, yeah. Whereas the T sixty five B, they just close one on top of the other. Right. So, do yeah. you like the hodgepodge version better? No, I like the, the sleek.
2: The sleek. I like the sleek. I like the split engines. That's one of the other major difference is uh, in the sixty five. The uh, you have the four engines of the at the yeah point. one on each wing essentially yeah, right. one on each wing and they're all cylindrical in the this T70 you have what looks like when the sfoils are closed two cylindrical engines that split and they become semicircles on each wing which uh, I like the look of as well I also love the, the T70, T70 X wing I okay. love the look of it like my like you know I
0: loved the classic X wing yeah. for 30 years like I'm not saying it's a bad looking ship i seeing the cooler You're like training upgrade we, yeah. yeah seeing the cool upgrade version the new hotness I just like Old you know busted. Yeah, <laughs> like if, if if like you can drive a classic car, yeah. but you see sometimes something you know what they're like those those concept cars yeah. they pull around exactly. occasionally. Ooh, same idea. So smooth. So yeah, the iconic Star Wars yeah. ship. Is
1: it, my memory was that there was also the pre X wing was the Z ninety five. One of them,
0: um, The Z ninety five Headhunter. It is canon. Mm-hmm. It does show up in Clone Wars. That's essentially the X wing, but only with two wings. Right. It doesn't X. It's and,
2: got, it's or and it's shitty, and it's yeah, worse.
0: It's, it's slower. It's worse. Some models don't have hyperdrive. Yeah. Um, we see it. There's also the ARC-170, uh, which the, is the clone fighter we see yeah. in the opening scene oh, of Revenge of the right. Sith. It's a two-man ship, but it has sort of like prototype S foils. Like they they go to attack position, and these little wings come out. They're the ones following Obi Wan and Anakin. Right. And you have both of those. They're as like in predecessors. Clone Wars
2: as well, and yeah. It's, so you still you have one wing, or on each side, obviously. Yeah. And then you have things pop out of them. So you end up with an it's an asterisk wing. <laughs> that yeah. That's a good way um, to put it. It's a cool
0: looking ship, but it's not it's not No, the X wing I I don't know if I can even put it into
2: words, but you know, set your S foils to attack position and the wings just open. Mm-hmm. That is well, that's what I did when I played X Wing. I just hit that button. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to close the wing.
0: There's something about that as a like, get ready for battle thing yeah. that's so. I don't want to use the word empowering because that's too strong. It's ridiculous yeah. to say empowering. But yeah, when those wings open, it's yes. It's yeah, let's go. It's a it's, it's go it's a thing you can do. That yeah. is so great.
1: All right, we should ramp up. Uh, I just want to give a, a, my own little honorable mention to the B Wing. I've always had a soft spot for that yeah. because it's got like. As opposed to the the S foil's opening, it's like the whole thing is an S foil where yeah. you know it normally it flies flat, 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 and then it and just goes spins tall open. with
2: into a uh, why they a call it a B? Yeah, I don't know, but it's, it's a T, a lowercase yeah. T wing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if, you,
0: if you turn it in profile, it looks vaguely like like the the side of a capital B. Sure, yeah, that that's where that is. Yeah, in the new canon, it's because it's short for blade wing. So, oh, okay. interesting.
1: Yeah. So, uh, do what would you say would be the a grievous error in this list. What's missing? In I, I mean, mind?
0: I already said it. I love the TIE Defender. Okay. Like that's. Just, I mean, because I already said it, if I have to add one, I'll say I also really like the new Star Destroyer, the Resurgent. Sure, yeah. Um, I like the double hull with sort of like the yeah. scaffolding in it. It's a cool... I, I'm try, I've been trying to find a cool model of that ship. That's a neat one. Um,
2: the That one's really interesting. It felt... When we got really close to it, it kind of felt like, oh, I don't know exactly where we are in this ship now. Um, it doesn't. It doesn't seem as
0: cohesive to me. I th- but I think it's intentional. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah,
2: they're the hodgepodge. Right. Although where they're getting the money to hollow out a planet. <laughs> well, we can get to that. Okay. Too. Yeah. Um, and and how about you, Dave. One honorable mention. One honorable mention. Okay. Well, um, let's keep it to the movies. Kylo's shuttle, oh the epsilon, yeah. yeah, the black one with the huge wings, the wings that it, this that's a cool gem. The
1: they, thing that he comes out of when he like catches the bolt when yeah, they yeah, shoot yeah. at him, right. that
2: one. And then it's at the end of that film as well. Yeah, it's then, hovering over the walkers in yeah. crate. It's in in Crait. It's in, crate. It's in mm-hmm. the end of uh, Force Awakens when they're or not the end, the middle of Force Awakens when they're picking up when they get Rey right. from Maz's shop. Uh, that that one, the black. Good sound design. We didn't talk a lot about the sound oh, design, man. but... That's true. Oh. Yeah. The TIE Fighters make that howl. Yeah. That's a, yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. The X-Wings, the sound of their
0: laser cannons is immediately mm-hmm. identifiable. Mm-hmm. Uh, d- yeah. Sound design's a big part of it we didn't have time to touch on, but you know what it sounds like. Oh, Every, yeah, everyone knows. All right. That was Geek Top 5's list of the coolest Star Wars ship designs. Thank you, Dave, for coming back and setting us with that. Our pleasure. And giving us the opportunity to talk about more Star Wars. In addition to that, special thanks to our crew. A special thanks to Stella Simeonova, our webmaster, who's helping bring in all this to you. And to Jamie Reum, our musician-in-chief. That's R-E-A-U-M-E. You can find him on YouTube at Jamie Reum Official. And be sure to check out his podcast, Originals and Covers and Beyond, on serious music geek stuff. Stuff that we don't get to touch on. That's the place to get that. This has been Geek Top 5, and I mean, there's very little in the world I enjoy more than talking about Star Wars. So if you want to continue the discussion, please reach out to us with your famous ships. There's all kinds of cool ways you can get a hold of us. You can
1: email us at geektop5 at gmail.com. You can always contact us on Facebook at facebook.comslash geektop5 or on Twitter at At Geek Top 5, and you can also leave a review on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice.
0: In the meantime, this has been Geek Top 5. We'll talk to you again in just a couple of weeks.